Hi, I'm Phil Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, episode 145. Let's see any housekeeping to take care of before we start. Uh, oh yeah, just a quick word for all of you out there who are good enough to help out the show. Whether it's through Patreon, PayPal, Audible, purchasing an audio documentary, or by leaving a review on iTunes, don't be afraid to let me know. Uh, your support means a lot, and I always feel bad when months later I finally realize someone was good enough to help out, and they've gone all that time without recognition. I know some people might find it distasteful to kind of tug on someone's figurative shirt sleeve and say, hey, I helped you out, you know. Uh, but I don't mind. Uh, I love when you guys help out, and I love giving well-deserved thanks and recognition in return. It's the least I can do, uh, but that's enough about that. I don't want to get all mushy on you. Okay, next, a brief update regarding the show. So I decided to add a new feature to the uh, show. Here and there, I'm going to release these brief little news segments, which I have perhaps not so creatively dubbed News Bites. Uh, I believe in always trying to be honest, perhaps to a fault, uh, with you guys, so I don't want to make my motivations seem nobler than they really are. The main impetus for doing this is so I can turn these little news segments into short videos that I can then put up on YouTube. The hope being that shorter videos on timely topics will attract more eyeballs and hopefully more ad clicks. Clicks equal money in YouTube land. Um, I already uploaded the inaugural news bite. It's basically just me introducing a contentious exchange between Bill Maher and Fareed Zakaria. Uh, so there you have it, news bites. I know a lot of you guys seem to like my characteristically long-winded, meandering style. Um, but fair not, these little news bites. Uh, installments will not be replacing the main show. All right. Let's see. Any corrections? Um, I think the only mistake I picked up on while listening back to last week's episode is that near the end, I mistakenly said relative when I meant uh, relevant. Not once, but twice. Uh, oh, well, the perils of uh, working unscripted. In full disclosure, some episodes are at least partially scripted, where maybe beforehand, if I have time, I'll write uh, some of my thoughts down. Other episodes, like the last couple, I'll maybe have a brief outline at the most, and the rest is off the cuff. If you hear an abundance of ums and ahs and slips that sound like the products of uh, brain glitches, then that probably means <laughs> the episode in question is unscripted. Uh, but anyway, so within the last few days, I experienced a couple of episodes of uh, quote-unquote synchronicity or spooky coincidences, shall we say. Now, you guys know me, skeptic, doubter, non-believer, agnostic atheist, etc., etc. So I don't think anything spooky or supernatural is necessarily going on, but still enough to kind of make you stop in your tracks and uh, make you think. The first incident happened a few days ago. One of my best friends and I, uh, he's also um, one of the guitarists in my band, the band I haven't practiced with in at least a year or something. <laughs> well, we, we were exchanging characteristically warped Facebook messages. We both share a lot of the same intellectual interests and we both have uh, the same warped sense of humor. 
and often will just send each other weird stuff. So I don't know if he just stumbled upon this picture online or if he uh, took a picture of a box of cereal he bought for his kids. But it was a picture of the art on the front of a cereal box. Uh, and the, the cereal was called Enviro Kids. And the flavor was chocolate choco chimps. And it had the picture of a chimpanzee on the box. And now I'm just thinking how weird and off-putting that is, uh, which is maybe partly why he sent it. I know chimps are our closest animal cousins, but they don't seem like the most hygienic of creatures, and you really want to associate them with something you're about to consume. But anyway, so we began coming up with joke serial names and messaging them uh, back and forth. We're both fans of the late Terence McKenna, an ethnobotanist who is really into the study of psychedelic plants and altered states of consciousness. McKenna had some really out-there ideas that I strongly question, but I really admire his work with psychedelics and consciousness. So Terence McKenna claimed to repeatedly uh, interact with beings he called, I, I believe it was self-transforming machine elves, during DMT trips. And uh, DMT, if you're not aware, is supposedly one of, if not the most potent psychedelics a person, a human can consume, but also one of the, uh, the shortest acting. I think a DMT trip might last in between like 10, 15 to maybe 30 minutes or something like that. So I messaged my friend with a joke serial idea psilocybin kids marshmallow machine elves <laughs> and uh, psilocybin as in psilocybin uh, mushrooms and then i did a google search for cereal that had nothing to do with mckenna and there in the image search results was a photoshopped image of a cereal box with mckenna as the mascot dressed like mickey mouse as the sorcerer's uh, apprentice with psilocybin mushrooms springing from his hands and uh, a claim on the box that it contained machine elves. So I was like, what the? I sent it to my friend and he basically had the same reaction. So I was tempted to suspend my disbelief, but then I reeled myself in and reasoned, well, what's more likely, that Providence or some higher power orchestrated this coincidence, or that there's a third person out there who just happens to share the same warped sense of humor as us? Uh, there's over you know, six billion people in the world. Odds are um, someone out there has joked about uh, the same thing, no matter how esoteric it might seem. So no supernatural explanation necessary. Still weird, though. The second incident happened after I'd been watching some videos about Aleister Crowley on uh, YouTube. I actually posted about this on the Weekend Out Facebook page. So Crowley, a, a lot of people pronounce it Crawley, but I believe uh, Crowley is the proper pronunciation that he himself used. I remember this little, uh, I think that it was this kind of memorization technique that uh, Crowley himself used to use that I've heard uh, repeated before, and I'm paraphrasing, but it goes something like, my name is Alistair Crowley because that I am holy. My enemies call me Crowley because they seek to treat me foully, or, or something like that. That's the gist of it, though. And I want to quickly apologize if you hear a lot of background noise. Not only is it raining here in New England, but for some reason... Um, 
There's been a lot of planes going overhead. Anyway, uh, Crowley is another one of those figures where I, I don't believe in the supernatural claims surrounding them, but I nevertheless still find them fascinating. He's just this really intriguing figure with a really lurid story. And if you're not familiar, Crowley was a 19th slash early 20th century uh, English-born occultist. Uh, so Crowley invented his own religion, basically, which he called Thelema, uh, which translates from Greek into English as will, I believe. And one of the main tenets associated with it is the saying, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law, love is the law, love under will, or uh, something like that. So for a couple of days, I had been watching Crowley videos, and around that time, I had ordered Chinese food. I crack open the fortune cookie, and it says, love is the law, love under will. And I was like, what the? And I don't know what was weirder, the coincidence or the fact that a fortune cookie was quoting Alistair Crawley. You might as well be quoting Rasputin or the Marquis de Sade. Uh, two other dark boogeymen uh, that I find fascinating. But once again, uh, what's more likely, that some supernatural agency was orchestrating these coincidences or that they're simply coincidence? My guess is, as spooky as these type of experiences seem, it's most likely a numbers game. Think of all the times where you don't experience any coincidences. I guess you could say it's kind of uh, like the lottery. The odds are against you, but once in a while you win something. It's probably similar with uh, coincidences. Once in a while, even though the odds seem unlikely, the numbers game throws a spooky coincidence your way. So uh, the famous psychoanalyst Carl Jung is often associated with the uh, phenomenon of synchronicity. Here's a little bit of what, you guessed it, Wikipedia has to say. Synchronicity is the occurrence of two or more events that appear to be meaningfully related, but not causally related. Synchronicity holds that such events are quote-unquote meaningful coincidences. The concept of synchronicity was first defined by Carl Jung, a Swiss psychiatrist in the 1920s. During his career, Jung furnished several slightly different definitions of it. Jung variously defined synchronicity as, and uh, here it is in quotes, a causal connecting togetherness principle, and another definition of his meaningful coincidence, and another a causal parallelism. He introduced the concept as early as the 1920s, but gave a full statement of it only in 1951 in an Aranos uh, lecture. I was about to say that I wasn't sure whether or not Jung himself believed there was anything paranormal about the phenomenon, but a little further down it says this. In the introduction to his book, Jung on Synchronicity and the Paranormal, Roderick Maine wrote, the culmination of Jung's lifelong engagement with the paranormal is his theory of synchronicity, the view that the structure of reality includes a principle of a causal connection which manifests itself most conspicuously in the form of meaningful coincidences. Difficult, flawed, prone to misrepresentation, this theory nonetheless remains one of the most suggestive attempts yet made to bring the paranormal within the bounds of intelligibility. 
It has been found relevant by psychotherapists, parapsychologists, researchers of spiritual experience, and a growing number of non-specialists. Indeed, Jung's writings in this area form an excellent general introduction to the whole field of the paranormal. Well, here's a passage about synchronicity from a site called Skeptic. A rather unfortunate name, but I believe it's short for uh, the Skeptic's Dictionary or something like that. Unless it's intentional, don't put the word dick into the name of your website. Uh, but anyway, uh, and here they're quoting someone named Stephen Strogatz. No evidence has ever been found for Carl Jung's idea of synchronicity. And it continues, Synchronicity is an explanatory principle according to its creator Carl Jung. Synchronicity explains quote-unquote meaningful coincidences, such as a beetle flying into his room while a patient was describing a dream about a scarab. The scarab is an Egyptian symbol of rebirth, he noted. Therefore, the propitious moment of the flying beetle indicated the transcendental meaning of both the scarab in the dream and the insect in the room was that the patient needed to be liberated from her excessive rationalism. His notion of synchronicity is that there is an a-causal principle that links events having a similar meaning by their coincidence in time rather than sequentially. He claimed that there is a synchrony between the mind and the phenomenal world of perception. Carl Jung, 1875-1961, was a Swiss psychiatrist and colleague of Freud's who broke away from Freudian psychoanalysis over the issue of the unconscious mind as a reservoir of repressed sexual trauma that causes all neuroses. Jung founded his own school of analytical psychology. Jung believes in astrology, spiritualism, telepathy, telekinesis, clairvoyance, and ESP. In addition to believing in a number of occult and paranormal notions, Jung contributed to two new ones, synchronicity and the collective unconscious. What reasons are there for accepting synchronicity as an explanation for anything in the real world? What it explains is more simply and elegantly explained by the ability of the human mind to find meaning and significance where there is none. Apophenia. Young's defense of eight causal connections is so inane I hesitate to repeat it. Remember, this isn't uh, me talking. Uh, he argues that eight causal phenomena must exist since statistics are only possible anyway if there are also exceptions. He asserts that probable facts exist otherwise there would be no statistical mean. Finally, he claims that the premise of probability simultaneously postulates the existence of the improbable. However, if you think of all the pairs of things that can happen in a person's lifetime and add to that our very versatile ability of finding meaningful connections between things, it then seems likely that most of us will experience many meaningful coincidences. The coincidences are predictable, but we are the ones who give them meaning. Eh, pretty much what I said, but more eloquent and uh, thoroughgoing, perhaps. Uh, to reiterate, basically quote-unquote meaningful coincidences are most likely due to a numbers game, a matter of odds, and the fact that we as humans try to read meaning into things and to make connections where there very well may not be any. But I have to admit, uh, there is something very seductive about Jungian concepts like synchronicity and the collective unconscious. Do I know with 100% certainty that there's nothing spooky or supernatural at work here? Uh, no, but as with many such things, you know, I'm a skeptic and the rational and more mundane explanation often seems more likely to me.
I was tempted to discuss some of Crowley's more lurid adventures, uh, especially one episode regarding a woman and a goat. Um, But siding with my better judgment, uh, (laughs) I've decided to refrain. But uh, let's see. I knew there was something else I wanted to discuss. It involves an anecdote from my early childhood that recently came to mind. I think I told you guys in a recent episode how I'd been watching that old uh, Beyond Belief event on YouTube where a bunch of scientists and skeptics got together for this kind of epic multi-day series of lectures and talks. And I think Sam Harris got the ball rolling with this, but uh, repeatedly people at this event kept referring to the Eucharist as a cracker. Uh, I remember feeling insulted, thinking, if you were raised Catholic, you would know that thing in no way resembles a cracker, uh, other than in its shape. It has the taste and consistency of, like, styrofoam packing material. And in fairness, I'm sure people around the world probably have different breads or wafers that they use in the uh, communion ritual. But this is no exaggeration. When I was growing up, uh, raised Catholic, the Eucharist was always white and felt and tasted like styrofoam, but somehow still melted in your mouth eventually. Now I think about it in retrospect, I hope those priests uh, washed their hands, but uh, but I don't know where they got those things. Um, it didn't resemble any type of bread that I'm familiar with. I wonder if it was a cost thing. Maybe they find the cheapest pseudo-bread wafer things possible. Uh, And I remember one day, I was probably uh, late elementary school, early middle school age. I was at church with my family, and I went up to receive communion. Uh, Now, this is pretty funny. I knew we were about to go on a long trip up to New Hampshire to visit some relatives uh, right after church. So I figured, oh, I'll save this for later and eat it during the car ride. So I took the wafer and went back to my seat. And everyone looked at me like I had two heads. And uh, people were like urgently trying to tell me, you you have to eat it now. Uh, But uh, anyway... um, uh, according to this site called uh, WiseGeek, WiseGeek.org, I think, um, the traditional communion wafers served during Roman Catholic services are made of two ingredients, wheat flour and water. Modern wafers may be embossed with religious symbols or perforated for easy, for uh, easier dispensation. I'll jump down a bit. The use of plain wheat flour and water does give communion wafers an air of humility, but some find the bland taste to be very unappealing. Some Christian denominations which observe Holy Communion have opted for other types of bread, such as unleavened pita bread, table crackers, leavened loaf bread, or even flour tortillas. Man, I like the sound of the tortilla ones. Uh, I love Cool Ranch Doritos. Imagine a Cool Ranch Dorito Eucharist. But um, I was going to do one quick news story. It's actually a few months old, but I just learned about it. Supposedly one of the founding members of the Christian rock band, the Newsboys, horrible name, uh, has come out as an outspoken atheist. And I think this happened back in January. The reason why it caught my attention is because I remember the Newsboys from when I reviewed that horrendously surreal anti-atheist propaganda movie, uh, God's Not Dead, starring uh, Kevin Sorbo, TV's Hercules. 
The band played themselves in the film, and uh, we were even subjected to one of their concert performances. Actually, uh, there's a podcast I listen to sometimes called The Thinking Atheist, and he, he did a whole episode about the Christian music business, uh, emphasis on the word business. And he actually uh, interviews some people who were insiders and are now out atheists. Um, I believe the host of The Thinking Atheist himself used to be a Christian broadcaster before coming out as an atheist. It's a good show that often has some very interesting uh, guests on. The only criticism I can possibly think of is that maybe he's a bit too polished. Uh, maybe it comes from all of his years as a professional broadcaster. But he almost has that unnaturally smooth uh, talking radio voice. You know, he's like, Hi, I'm the talking atheist. Buy some yummy snacks from Nature Box. <laughs> but uh, I know I'm the last person who should be making fun of someone else's voice. We can't all have a lazy, stuffy nose droning East Coast accent like me. Uh, but it's a good show, though, and I'm just uh, teasing the thinking atheist. Uh, with that being said, I guess I'll call this episode a wrap. You guys know the drill, support the show, blah, 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 Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Uh, the show's on Stitcher. You can subscribe or rate the show through iTunes. Check out the archives on Podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N. If you feel like donating to the show, as little as 99 cents through uh, Podbean, just scroll to the bottom of the Weekend Out Podbean page and look for the PayPal widget. That's a lot of alliteration. You can also buy uh, the Brief History of St. Patrick audio documentary for as little as 99 cents uh, via Podbean. And you can also uh, support the show via Patreon for as little as, I think it's 99 or a dollar, 99 cents or a dollar a month. And uh, that unlocks a free download of the uh, St. Patrick uh, documentary. And if you're wondering why an atheist is plugging a St. Patrick documentary, uh, it's because I'm really interested in things like ancient history, the history of religion, the history of the holidays. And hopefully this is just one in a series of uh, documentaries that I'm going to put out. Okay, so thanks for listening and until next week. Mm -hmm.